Uh, let us turn to Luke uh, chapter 18, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus Christ dealt with individuals. And he was constantly having individuals come to him, ask him questions. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, sought him out by night. The woman that was seated on the well when our Savior was there, he talked with her. Zacchaeus, the little short fellow that had to run and climb up in a tree to look down on Jesus. And so you can turn through the whole New Testament. You find the individual coming to Jesus. And you find Jesus Christ dealing with the individual on an individual basis. And in this instance, we have a ruler. He's identified as a young ruler elsewhere. He had some money. He had riches. There are three accounts of this instance, one in Matthew, one in Mark, and one in Luke. But this young man came up to Jesus Christ, and he saluted him, Good Master. And then he said, What uh, shall I do that I may have eternal life? I believe the young man was sincere. I think he was earnest. I think he was intrigued with the matter of everlasting life. So far as this world was concerned, he had what he needed. He had riches. He had great possessions. We're told that he had great possessions. Furthermore, he'd had good training. He had a good moral life, as, it, as is evidenced by his reply. He says, I've kept all these things from my youth. But with his money and with his reputation... He was intrigued by this idea of life eternal. Whatever his possessions were and whatever his position may have been, he looked yonder into the eternity and he was concerned and he had understood that this lowly uh, mendicant who went about the streets with no place to lay his head, this one said that the birds of the heavens had their nests and the foxes had their holes, but this man owned no property. He had no farm. He had no uh, cart. He had no water bag. He, he just walked around from place to place, and he talked of eternal life. And the rich young ruler says, I will go and I will speak to him, and I will address him as a good master. He saw something in this individual whom he could call good. But he says, I'd like to learn from him the message or the manner or the way or just how it is that eternal life can be possessed. And he says, what can I do that I may inherit eternal life? Beloved, that's the question that every man, whether he's rich or whether he's poor, that's the question that every man ought to be asked. 
I'd like to have this life. Where is it? How can I obtain it? What is necessary in order to me to come into the possession of that life which will continue my existence and continue my person and continue me on after this experience that we call death lays hold upon us? Jesus had the answer. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And Jesus Christ came to this young man, or this young man came to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ answered his question, and he answered it in the way that penetrated and penetrated and penetrated right down to the innermost secret recess of that young man's soul. And that's what we want to do in this message today. We want to get to the very depths of your own soul, the very heart of your own being, beloved. And I want you to see how Jesus Christ takes this young man and just opens up his life and just reaches right down into the inner recess of that man's soul and he touches the depths of that young man's heart. And Jesus can do it. And Jesus did do it in this particular instance. You know, this week down at the Christian Admiral, we've had a prophetic conference. It's the first one we've had. And it was a magnificent experience to bring these three professors from Faith Theological Seminary, headed by Dr. McCrae, and have them there for a week, expounding the prophecies and explaining the great realities that are just ahead of us, that the Lord may come any moment and that he will deliver his people from the great tribulation that's to come upon the earth. And then the Lord will come and set up his millennial reign and uh, the Jews will see him and believe upon him in that day when he comes to deliver them from their great enemies about Jerusalem. And it was exceedingly interesting to see the responses of the people. Here we had a great crowd of people from all over the country. Some of them knew something, some of them didn't know anything. Some of them knew something about the Bible, some knew very little about the Bible. And it was interesting indeed to see the young people that were interested. And after every message, the people would gather around with their Bibles and they'd come with, Doctor, how about this question? And, Doctor, how about this question? And they'd come with their questions. And I was standing by the side of Dr. McCrae when a young lad came up to him, a nice, clear, bright-eyed young lad. And I saw him admiring the professor. I watched him as he looked at Dr. McCrae, just studied him. He studied his hair, studied his eyes. I think he's looking at his ear. I saw him stand off there and just look at this professor, this great Old Testament scholar that God's raised up to lead the young people in our seminary and to help prepare our young men to go out and lead in this great struggle. And I watched the young man. Then I saw him come over to Dr. McCrae, and he had his Bible. He says, Dr. McCrae, he says, how about this question? And he asked the question, and then Dr. McCrae turned and just gave that young man all of his attention and he answered his question, and I saw the lad, he opened up his eyes, just smiled. He says, thank you, that satisfies me. And he walked and turned away. The experience of seeing a young lad come up. Here's a young man who came to Jesus, and he says, good master. Good master. And the first thing that you must recognize in this passage is that Jesus Christ, wants you to recognize who he is when you talk to him. He wants us to recognize him. 
for all that he is. He's not just an Old Testament professor. This one is the son of the living God. And Jesus Christ turned to that young man and said, Why callest thou me good? I've heard your question. You've asked me, what can I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not going to even take up your question for consideration until I straighten you out on who I am. Beloved, when we come to talk to Jesus Christ, we must recognize all that he is, his person. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but God. And what Jesus Christ is saying to that young man, I won't even accept your salutation. I won't even accept these complimentary words of being a good master unless you recognize that that word good applies to me in the fullness of the meaning of that term as it relates to God. There's none good but God. And if you're going to call me good master, then you must recognize that I am God. And here Jesus presents his deity. Here Jesus presents his person and his nature to this young man before he even begins to answer his question. Beloved, I say to everyone today, the most important aspect of all of your questioning when you come to Jesus is that you first must recognize that he is the Son of God. We have to deal with the Son of God. We have to deal with the only Savior there is. We have to deal with the one whom God has appointed to be the Redeemer, and he has made him heir of all things. And beloved, it is Jesus Christ whom we preach. It's Jesus Christ whose name we exalt. It's Jesus Christ and only Christ who has access to the Father for us. And it's the most beautiful thing. You'd say, well, don't you think Jesus should answer his question for him and then later on explain to him in a sort of a mo modest manner who he is? Beloved, this is not a question of modesty. This is a question of life and death. This is not a question of some sort of strategy in reaching people. Jesus Christ demands that you recognize who he is and then when you recognize who he is, you'll be ready to listen to what he says and when you listen to what he says, you'll be ready to accept what he's done for you. We have to start. And isn't it interesting when you look at the preaching of the apostles in the New Testament ministry, what did they do? They preached Jesus and then the resurrection. They preached Jesus. They held up this person. They held up the Son of God. They held up this one who was died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And they held him up. And with him they presented the resurrection. That there would be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. And that there would be hope for you and me in the great eternity that lies ahead of us. And Jesus Christ said to this young man, before I can begin to converse with you about this matter, let's get straight just who we are and where we stand and don't call me good unless you believe me to be God. But if you believe me to be God, if you'll accept that salutation, I will accept that salutation and then we'll go on from here. And notice how Jesus turns to this young man. Thou knowest the commandments. Son, 
Son, if you want to do something, I'll let you do it. If you think you can inherit eternal life by something that you're able to do, I'm going to let you do it. I'm just going to show you, young man, that the line along which you have been thinking is totally and completely in error. Young man, I'm going to let you see for yourself out of your own heart that the approach which you have been making and the ideas that are in your mind are totally in error. And if you're going to obtain eternal life, you're going to have to get these ideas out of your mind and out of your heart. And you're going to have to look at me and look at the, the, the testimony and ministry which we, which the Son of God has to offer. Now will you look at that 19th verse? And Jesus said unto him, There's none good but God. Thou knowest the commandments. Jesus knew enough about the young man to know that he'd been taught in the Jewish religion. Do not commit adultery. Isn't it interesting he mentions this one dealing with sex first, the youth. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. These are the commandments that have to do with the second table of the Decalogue. But they're the Ten Commandments. And Jesus Christ now is saying to the young man, if you want to be saved by what you do, just take the commandments, young man. Here they are. Here they are. And if you'll go out and keep them, why, you can have eternal life. You can merit it. You can earn it. And Jesus Christ is going to reveal to that young man that it's impossible, utterly impossible, for anybody to be saved along this road. And this is why it was necessary for Christ to come and keep the law for us and then to die in our stead because of our transgressions of it. And Jesus Christ wants to reveal to that young man the impossibility of his saving himself. And Jesus Christ holds up to that young man the law, and here it is. And he's going to show that young man that he cannot in any possible way meet the demands of that law and save his own soul. My friend, you can't be good enough. But the young man said, well, I've kept all these things from my youth up. I've been a good boy. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never been guilty of any immorality of any kind. I've been obedient to my parents. I've lived in the family. And beloved, you have here as fine a looking young man as you could ask for anywhere. Clean, honest, outright appearance as fine a looking young man as you could ask for anywhere. But there's one thing wrong with him. He's not saved. He's not saved. His heart's not right. Man looketh on the outward appearance. And you'd think somebody would come up and say, Son, don't bother Jesus about these things. You're all right. You've never done anything that's gotten you in trouble. You've never even been arrested for speeding. 
Oh, there's, no, there's nothing that's bothering you. Why, why do you bother Jesus when you have such a good life and you set such a good example and you, you have these means? Why do you ever come and even talk to this man, Jesus, about this matter? You're a good man! Beloved, the young man was lost. Lost. Absolutely unregenerate. Absolutely without Christ. And I'm concerned about this matter. I'm concerned about young people on every hand today. I'm concerned about some of the young people in our church. It's possible for young people even to sit under a ministry such as we have through these years where I've preached this word and drawn these lines and still have an outward appearance and still not be right in their hearts. And only God does it. The same thing is true with some of the older people that sit in the pews. I had an experience this week down at Cape May. A dear lovely lady there, I gave the invitation one evening following one of the messages in the prophetic field and I straightened out that invitation just as straight and as clear as I know how to present the claims of Christ and how it's only by faith and that dear lady accepted Christ as her Savior. And I talked with her. She says, I've been going to church all my life, Dr. McIntyre. She says, I'm a good woman, but she says, I never understood it that way. She was an Episcopalian. That's the way a lot of Episcopalians are. Oh, they've been going to church all their lives. They're good people. They sing the songs. But they've never had presented to them the clear lines of regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit and on the basis of faith alone. Oh, all the church going in the world won't get you anywhere so far as salvation is concerned. All the goodness of your relatives, all the wealth of your money, everything that you have, nothing can do you any good when it comes to this matter of everlasting life except Jesus Christ and faith in his finished work. That's the only thing that can do. Now, beloved, let's watch Jesus deal with this. You know what the Lord's going to do with this young man? He's going to operate on his heart. He's going to just take a sharp knife. He's going to go right down into that young man's heart. He's going to cut the thing right open. And the young man's going to say, it's not for me. Beloved, you know what the Word of God, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of the bones and the marrow. This word is the only thing that can search out your heart, my friend. And it will search it out. And it'll bring you to the place where you say, I cannot do it or I'm undone. It'll bring you to that place. And this word is the only thing that can bring you to that place. Now look what Jesus says. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Young man, you think you're all right? You think you're just about perfect? You think you could... You know what that young man expected the Lord to say to him? He expected Jesus. He says, well, son, you've kept the law and you've got some means and you've been a success. You're all right. Take my blessing. You've got everlasting life. That's what that young man expected the Lord to say to him. What good thing can I do? The young man's done all these good things and expected the Lord to say, well, yes, son, I, I'm, I'm pleased with you. I want to compliment you. 
My, how you've lived such an exemplary life, and I'm very proud of you, young man. Just keep on going the way you are, and you'll inherit eternal life. I have nothing more to say. That's what he expected the Lord to say. But the Lord says, one thing you lack, son. Look at it, what is it? What did he tell him he lacked? One thing thou lackest. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus said, young man, I'm going to go right down into the center of your heart and lay hold on that which the greatest delight of your, of your soul, your possessions. And I'm going to tell you to sell everything. Don't just sell 10%, 50%, 95%. Son, you sell everything you possess. You go out there and you get rid of every single thing that you possess, that you're holding on to. And then you come and hold on to me. You get rid of everything you possess. And then you come and just hold on to me. Come and just follow me. And then you'll be all right. And what did we read? The young man turned away sorrowful. He had great possessions. And between Christ and him was his possessions. He says, I'm not willing to give up my security and my possessions and what I have even for eternal life. I'm not willing to give them up even to follow this Jesus. I'm not willing to give them up and I will hold on to these things. And he turned away for he had great possessions. Now, beloved, may I say to you today in this message, the Lord Jesus Christ said, beloved, that when you come and put your faith in him, you turn loose of everything. You have to. You turn loose of everything and lay hold upon Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You turn loose of absolutely everything. And it makes no difference whether you have a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or a thousand dollars or ten dollars or one penny. If you let one single penny stand between you and absolute surrender and faith in Christ, you can't be saved. There can't be, there can't be a thing Absolutely nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to have some money. No, I don't. That's not what he's arguing here at all. But what you have doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him, every bit of it. What you have isn't yours to use the way you'd like to use it. It's yours to use the way he tells you to use it. You remember the story of little Zacchaeus? 
It's a beautiful story. Our Savior used it to illustrate that text. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. To seek and to save. He was here the seeking Savior. And he went to get those that were lost. And uh, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Come down from the tree. I'll come over to your house and we'll eat there today. And he went over there. And when he met Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus talked to him. And Zacchaeus says, Lord, he says, What I have I've sold. I'm giving the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, I'll give them back four times. And Jesus Christ said, Zacchaeus, today salvation's come to your house because you're a son of Abraham. You're a son. Beloved, people don't want to come to Christ because they don't want to give up the things they have. They don't want to turn loose of these things that they have earned, that they have made, that they want to hold on to, that they've inherited. They don't want to turn loose of any of these things and they're going to lay hold upon them in their hearts instead of Jesus. There's one thing that God wants to see in you. He saw it in Abraham. Abraham loved his son Isaac. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, go there to Mount Moriah, three days' journey, take your wood with you, and offering up as a sacrifice. And Abraham says, All right, Lord, I'll do it. So he took his son Isaac, and they walked along the road. Abraham explained to Isaac where he's taking him. He says, Well, the got up there and built an altar and Isaac said well where's the lamb and Abraham said well Isaac the Lord's going to provide a lamb and it wasn't until the lamb was tied and was on the altar and Abraham had his hand lifted up and Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead and God stayed his hand and there in the bushes was the ram that he told him to catch and substitute for Isaac. And then what did God say? Now I know that thou dost love me because thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. Don't let your children stand between you and the Lord. Don't let your possessions stand between you and the Lord. Don't let anything keep you from coming to the Lord. Who is he? God. Good master. Good master. Now will you look at the rest of this for just a moment, see how this opens up. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had heard this saying, they said, Who then can be saved? Who then can... Beloved, nobody can be saved along the road that the young man was walking. And have you ever heard some of these nice Bible expositors come along and say, well, now you must understand that the eye of a needle was a gate and the camel has to dump down and get his hump under it and he can squeeze through. No, beloved, it never was. The eye of a needle is that little thing that you and I can't even thread anymore. That's what it is. It's so small that a camel can't get through it and you can't even get through it. You can't get a thread of string through it and you fumble around with the thing and you give it up. He's talking about here a hole that's so small that a camel gets get through it and he never could get through it. And it's impossible, beloved. Quit trying to be saved in any other way than by the blood of Jesus Christ. No other way. My, I had an interesting experience in Cape May this week. 
was about 11.30, I guess it was, and I came, came through, and here were three young people over on the side. I saw them looking at literature and some talking to them, and I walked over. They weren't hippies, though. One of them did have hair that was a little wrong. He needed a haircut, but he wasn't a hippie. And he's a big, tall fella, and I stepped by, and I said, how do you do? And I said, I'm Dr. McIntyre, and they said, oh, yes. And I said, we're glad to see you. What's, what's on your mind? Well, we just came around, and, and I said to the young lady, I said, where are you from? Oh, she says, I'm Philadelphia. I says, what do you do? She says, I work in the poverty program. And I said to the other young lady, I says, where are you from? Well, I'm up here in some of these universities. She mentioned it. And I said to the young man, I said, son, I says, are you saved? You know, you put a word like that to him right off, you know, it kind of gets him. He looked at me, and, and he says, what do you mean? I said, well, have you, do you know the Lord? Have you been saved? And he looked at me, I said, sir, I says, I says, what's going to happen to you when you die? I said, what's going to happen to this thing that's in you calls your life? I was giving it to him just as straight as could be. He says, I'll just be next. I'll be next. I don't know what that means, but uh, that's one of these words that they use. I'll just be next. And I says, well, where are you going to go when you die? He says, I'll be next. I says, what church do you belong to? Well, he says, I'm a Presbyterian. Well, I says, I am too, but I says, we're not the same kind. And we laughed. And then I brought to this young man the question of everlasting life. I says, aren't you concerned about this matter of everlasting life? No, he said, we've got to take care of this one. And the young girl spoke up and said, yes, we've got to get out and take care of these people. I says, young lady, the way you're going at it is wrong. She looked at me. I says, it's wrong, lady. I says, you first got to get these people straightened out with God. And I turned to that young lady. I said, you can wash the pigs and scrub the pigs and paint the pigs, but when you turn them loose, they go back to their walla. And you've got to get regeneration. You've got to change. I says, you can change the houses, but it's not the houses you've got to change. It's the people that's in the houses. You've got to change the people that are in the houses. And Jesus Christ is confronting this young man with the realization that he cannot change himself. If he's going to be changed, it will have to be done by another power. And we have this question, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Beloved, nobody can be saved along the road that the rich young ruler was going. It's impossible. But notice what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said in that next verse. Beloved, you know, when I read a passage like this and I expound it, I just believe it's the word of God. My heart's just flooded with it. This is the truth. We're dealing with Jesus Christ while he was here on the earth. The Spirit's recorded this record for us. Look what Jesus said. And Jesus said, The things which are not possible with men are possible with God. Beloved, your salvation is the work of Almighty God and you have nothing to do with it. You can't contribute to it. All you have to do is to recognize that God has provided it, and by faith you receive it, and you become his child by his grace. That's salvation. That's salvation. What's impossible with man, with God, is not impossible. Well, the young man went away, and then notice what Peter says. Peter comes up. He says, Lord, he says, this is quite an experience to drive that young fellow away. The young fella turned away because when Jesus pierced his heart and got down there to where that old sinful heart is that lay hold upon everything we have and keeps hold on it, wouldn't turn loose. 
The young man, instead of turning and saying, Lord, I can't do it, I know I can't be saved this way, but you're talking about it, tell me, tell me, please, what it is that you've done for me that will save me. For the law reveals sin, and the law, as Christ applied it to the young man, revealed the sin in his heart, and he held on to his sin and he walked away instead of holding on to Christ and receiving life. This is the personal witness in the confrontation of the Son of God with the heart of a man who was clean and moral and lived a good life and came from a nice community and had money and he was the proudest young man and he'd have made the nicest looking husband for some lovely girl. The only thing is if she'd have married him, she'd have married an unsaved man and she'd found it out before six months, maybe six days. She'd have found it out. And now look what Peter says. Peter, Lord, lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or wife or brethren or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Manifold more in this present time, do you mean even loved ones, even sons, even daughters, even wives, even these who don't understand what will be the manifold in this life, beloved? It is the possession and the knowledge and the fellowship of God. That's what it is. And in the life to come, eternity with the Father. Beloved, this little stage on which you and I find ourselves, it's shrinking and shriveling and it's heading its way down that road, down toward this great judgment and this consummation and Christ is getting ready to gather the saints about him in the clouds of heaven. And these mighty moments are just upon us. And to you and me, the ends of the ages have come. And beloved, you and I have a responsibility to witness to the individual, to use the word to pierce their heart, to use the law to bring them conviction of sin, and to use the gospel to tell them of Christ. Men are lost. These young people that I talk to in the lobby there at Cape May, and I talk to them, I talk to them, and I, and I say, will you come back tomorrow? We're going to have some more of this. They heard a new story. They heard something that was a foreign substance to them as they looked at me, and I explained to them exactly how we loved Christ and loved God, and that determined everything that we had. And they looked around, and they said, well, where did you get this place? They were impressed by the marble columns. They were impressed with the beauty of the Christian animal. And they asked me if I said, well, I says, young people, I says, the Lord gave all this to us after we stood for him in order that we might use them for his service. And beloved, I say to you people, every single thing you possess, God gave to you after you were saved. That's right. You had to turn loose of them to get saved. You had to give up everything not I, but Christ. And then when Christ takes over, I can use this and I can use that and I can use this. And oh, beloved, the joy of using everything in the service of Christ. 
Oh, you have the greatest joy. Just to talk, just to witness, just to try to win others, just to try to bring them into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's everybody do it. Let's everybody be active in this ministry of showing men that it's by grace that men are saved. It's by faith that men are saved. I had a young lad come to me this week, and it's interesting. They want to talk to me. They, I, I can sit down and talk to him, and I... And he was talking to me about, I said, son, I said, you look like you're a nice young fellow. And I says, are you saved? Oh, yes, I'm saved. I know the Lord. I says, are you sure? Oh, yes. He says, I know. He says, I've, I've given my life to the Lord. And I said, well, son, I said, had you ever thought about maybe going on and maybe has the Lord spoken to you about being a preacher? Well, no, not exactly. He says, I don't feel I have a call. But I said, One, son, how would you expect to get a call? Well, he says, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, what do you expect it? And I reasoned with him. I, taught, I said, son, I says, you see the need. I said, you come up out of the background of this movement of which we're a part. And I says, you see what's going on. Don't you believe it? Oh, yes, I believe it. Well, I said, son, I says, I don't have to hit you in the head to have a call. I said, I don't have to do that. I says, the Lord, you, you, you're, you, you, you have to see the need. You, you're prepared in these circumstances. You belong here. You see the gospel. And I says, now, if the Lord just lays a burden on your heart and you say, I think I ought to go and preach, you go preach. He says, I'll pray about it. Well, I've been praying about that boy ever since I talked to him. I've been praying, praying, praying. Think of having something to give to somebody that you didn't make. Think of having something to give to somebody that you had nothing to do with producing. Think of having something to offer somebody that no human being can in any way tamper with or improve or in any way assist the blood of Christ which cleanses from sin. We have it to offer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Take the word. Give me Jesus. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. Forsake it all. Come, follow me. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this exposition of the word, how beautiful it unfolds, how clearly it shows us that it's not by works of righteousness, that it's not by keeping the law, it's by coming under the condemnation of this law and a realization that we are sinners and undone that we are ready then to listen to Christ and to be saved. We thank thee that this is the place of salvation and that in this great assembly today the message of everlasting life has been presented to sinners. And we come saying, Good Master, oh, he is the Son of the living God, and the things which can't be done by man are possible with our God. Oh, if there's a single sinner in this place or listening to this broadcast, Father, wilt thou save their soul that they might find this treasure. Yes, the inheritance among the saints in light, the gift of life eternal. Amen. Let us continue our worship with the singing of hymn number 304. 304, The Church's One Foundation. <laughs> 